All right, what's going on, guys? It's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, your friendly neighborhood, SOT. We're now in double digits. This is our 10th episode of the podcast entitled Cheap Therapy. Uh, and again, no, I am not a self-ordained therapist, although that would be a really cool title to have. Uh, SOT stands for Special Occupational Tax. So um, today we have brought in a very close friend of mine, Paul Potter. He's the general manager of Young Chevrolet out in Dallas. Is it Dallas or Mesquite? It's Dallas. Dallas. Out in Dallas. Uh, so we decided to bring him in. Although Paul, um, as a as a GM, he's not really uh, – I guess most of most of our, our podcast episodes have been with entrepreneurs. I decided to bring Paul in to talk less about just entrepreneurship and more about sales because obviously that's what he does uh, for a living at a car dealership. So obviously the tools that he has, uh, we as entrepreneurs – can really, or just, you know, not necessarily if you're a small business owner or not, but obviously you can take the tools that he uses and some of the questions that I have for him uh, can be really good insight and really good information of towards your job or your business or what have you. So uh, without further ado, um, Paul, Paul, thank you so much for, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So uh, it was a bit of a pain in the ass for us to, to go ahead and coordinate schedules. Um, we're both extraordinarily busy men. Uh, you got off work, what, like 10 minutes before you came to the show? Yeah, it wasn't very much longer. Yeah, basically. So, and Mondays, this is a Monday. So, um, no, today's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Yeah, my bad. So, I did work today too. So, uh, yeah, I guess technically we're still working. So, so Paul, tell us, uh, tell us, I guess, because obviously you're not incredibly old. You're a very young man, still in your prime. So, to be a general manager at your age is some feat. Um, I've never really met anyone at your age that's in the position that you are at, at a pretty prominent dealership. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, tell us a little bit about where you where you started. Uh, did you start with Clay Cooley? I mean, what what led you to where you are, you know, now? So, I started actually in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, and m like most people in my profession, we start kind of at the bottom. So, I started selling cars. In July, June, July, two thousand six. Okay, so so really it, not terribly long. I mean, you've been at it for less than twenty years. Correct. Okay. Well, it, it, you also say less than twenty years, but you know, I work about eighty hours a week. Right. So it's like dog years. Yeah, it's like dog yeah. years. You definitely, yeah, definitely gain some, as as you can tell from the amount of gray hair I have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm catching up with you very quickly too. So uh, when I talked to, uh, I did, uh, I interviewed Earl Stigler. He owns a restaurant in Sunnyvale. Uh, the, did you listen to that episode yet? No, no. So uh, we talked about it, and uh, I told him that on Mondays I go to physical therapy. And he's like, "Man, you look really young to be going to PT." I was like, "Yeah, but <clears throat> I did spend nine years in the Marine Corps." So it's like nine years in the Marine Corps is like dog years, right? Yeah. To everyone else, so, it's definitely double. Yeah, so uh, it's it, it's a decent bit. So anyway, I digress. So, two thousand six Albuquerque, right? Two thousand six Albuquerque. I sold cars, right? Mm -hmm. And in that time, it was a little bit different. There wasn't, even though the internet was around, there was not a lot of shopping on the internet. It was more of right pound the pavement, uh, be the vulture, you know. It, it wasn't a game of you know who said hi to the customer first and who has the balls to actually get in the car. Okay. Right without getting shot. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. So that's pretty pretty interesting. So this is like prior e-commerce. Correct. So it was e-commerce was just you know starting back then. 
So this is prior to like the 07, 08 crash. This was, you know, uh, the end of what a lot of people considered the prime in the car business. So this was still like newspaper article sort of stuff, which is kind of, you know, it's like nostalgic sort of interesting. Actually, that's where I found not my first car, but my second one it was actually in, in Louisiana. It's called the Quick Quarter. So that's where I found it in, a, in an ad. Uh, which is kind of interesting. That's funny. So anyway, go ahead. Right. So <clears throat> I remember buying my first car, like and I'm looking on the newspaper for the classifieds and everything too. Like, like right. it is some nostalgia there. You know, you are a little bit younger than me, but uh, not by much. Not by much. Right. So like that was the industry. I watched it. You know, I, I was able to figure out how to sell, mm-hmm. you know, how to talk to people and uh, honestly how to uh, live at work. Right uh, there, they worked from eight o'clock in the morning until ten o'clock at night, seven Jesus. days a week. That's rough. Yeah, it definitely was rough. The um, but it taught me a lot, you know. So we weren't off on like Sundays. So Sundays they were open as well. Hmm. So it was a seven day store. Now in Texas, we're blessed with the the Bible Belt, right? So this is the blue law. So any car dealership, motorcycle dealership, RV dealership, boat dealership has to be closed either Saturday or Sunday. Oh, that's a thing. And it's a Bible Belt. So from Texas straight up to Canada, all those states have the same law. It's also the same one that keeps liquor stores closed on Sundays. Whereas in Albuquerque, um, you can buy liquor every day of the week. In Louisiana, you can too. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a whole other story. But, you know, that's how I became an alcoholic. But <laughs> as we're sitting at a bar doing this. As we're sitting at a bar. But I, I haven't drank in, what, six, six and a half years. So Congratulations. Yeah. Man. I haven't had a drink since. Hold on. Yep, there's one. Courtesy of Shiner. Yeah. Actually, this one's really good. This is uh, the Shiner Premier. I tried this one actually at Shiner. This is like their OG Bach. But anyway, yeah. sorry to rub in my alcoholism. No, no, you're good. Definitely. I don't, I don't judge anybody on their alcoholism. I was, I, I drank enough for a lifetime. So I'm, I'm not stressed about that at all. But back to the conversation. Mm-hmm. The, um, so I watched the economy crash. In this business, right? Going from sales to where, you know, we sold probably 400 cars a month down to like 50 and watched, you know, people struggle and pretty much lose their whole livelihoods and, you know, change careers. There's a lot of people that never got, never got back into it. Right. Right. So into the car sales, into car sales. So the, the people that survived it were the ones that were more resilient. So I even got out for a little bit. And I found that, you know, I was already used to working 80 plus hours a week and holding four jobs versus one made it easier to go back to the car business. That's fair. But that, so what, what was it that made it just, I guess, like the micro depression that we had at that time? That was the, uh, what was it? The housing market, like. Just set up to these like interest rates and shit like that. Yeah. Kind of like what we're going through now. Interest rates raising, like the the Fed's trying to starve off inflation. Uh, so is it sort of in the same realm or is it different now? I mean, because obviously car sales, you don't have a terrible amount of shit on your lot. So No, this is a completely new ball game, right? You have the same kind of meat and potatoes to the soup, mm-hmm. but a completely different atmosphere. So mm-hmm. now versus then, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. Hmm. Right. So we went, we went through with COVID with this one, right, where you weren't allowed to open the showroom doors. Right, so you went back to no one selling shit, pretty much. I can cuss this thing, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing we can't do is like talk about like super explicit shit. But so let's rewind that. So how how did COVID affect the car industry? I feel like it couldn't have done that much. So and with COVID, is it's kind of a ripple effect, right? When parts suppliers and everything else. Now, you didn't have this problem originally in like 07, 08 with the parts suppliers and different things that, you know, the world wasn't really used to, mm-hmm. right? Everyone got freaked out over the pandemic and shut down. At least in 07, 08, people were still making parts. They were still producing. There was, ah. there was things to sell. Right. Whereas in COVID, everyone stopped. Production stopped. Parts well, same stopped. thing like with ammunition. Yeah, just like ammunition, how it got so expensive. So with COVID, the first few months were very, very like, or the first, you know, probably year and a half was very much like 07, 08. And the fact that you didn't sell a lot and you had to be resilient, you know, just keep moving forward because, hell, you can't stop in life anyway. Right. Um, but with, with COVID, with the parts supplies and everything, you also found that the the cars that we had available became very expensive because there wasn't very many of them when people wanted to buy. Right. Whereas, like I remember back in back in that time, you had great credit, you got thirteen percent interest rate, which people like, and it's 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 starting to do that again, which people freak out. Yeah, like. So what's the current interest rates now? So interest rates are rising right now. So. Whereas most people with good credit, such as yourself, mm-hmm. right, you're expecting, you know, low single digits. Yeah, yeah. So, like our main bank is uh, Ally, which is a lot of General Motors dealers' main bank. It's a, what we call a captive, or it used to be anyway. Most people have them now. But the uh, there was 800 Beacon, which is, to anybody, great credit. They got approved at 13%. Bruh. And, like, I'm not talking, like, a bad loan valued, like, bad structure or anything else like no they had money down like everything everything was supposed to be right you know just 13 13 that is insane yes i had to actually go out there and talk to them um, for that one but it's just like like the housing like interest rates but is that different. like is that like at almost everyone is getting that or was that just that specific customer it's just that specific customer so like it, it's still not favorable right so people still need to buy cars. Like I'm talking like normally where I would expect like a three, I'm going to get like a seven. Yeah. So normally like it's, it's at least double, right? Just like, okay. like my house loans like 2% right now. And I was looking at a, di- uh, a different house and it's like, Oh yeah. The great rate's yeah, like no, six and a half. I'm like, yeah, I'm no, chilling. I'm good. As a matter of fact, when we bought ours, when we bought our house in, well, we closed. Yeah. We closed November 10th of 2020. And when we got our house, <coughs> We got the historic low for the VA loan, which was like 1.6 or 1.5, which was like amazing, right? Which is like, it'd be stupid for me to even look at getting a new house right now. I mean, I'd be an idiot. I mean, well, first off, I would profit like $130,000 off of this house. But it's like, but then, dude, I got to turn away. Well, then, yeah, well, one on top of that now. But I mean, if, if all the houses are going for, you know, a hundred grand over what you know I paid for them or where, or where they were worth or what, I, I, two years ago. It's like, well, okay, if I'm if I'm a profit one thirty, but then I got to take that one thirty. I pay someone else's profit for one thirty. Yeah, but I mean that's what I'm saying. So it's like a it's, it's it's a stupid maneuver unless you're downsizing. That would make sense, or if you're going into an apartment or something like that. But but yeah, I would. I mean, I'd be stupid to to get out of this house to pay more on someone else's house, but then have to come out. And you know, get some five six percent interest. So that's the same thing that happened on cars too, right? Cars were costing more more money, but the used cars brought more money. Mm-hmm. So people would come in and be like, "Hey, like you know, I got to do this, this, and this." 
right? But I got to buy a car. I was like, but I don't want to pay market price for the car. I want to, you know, pay a regular price for the car, and then I want market price for my car. Like it's the same. It's the same money. You're just moving money around. And if you if you understand that, it makes it a little bit easier to bite the bullet with it. Yeah, but but still, somebody comes in and they want top dollar for their. They come to trade in a gun, and they're like, "Oh, I I paid six hundred for it. I want six hundred for it." But then your gun that you're selling for seven ninety nine, I want it for seven fifty. It's like, well, dude, that's not how any of this works. Exactly. You know, like I'm obviously going to give you the the least amount that I can for your gun, and then I obviously want to maximize profit on mine. Like that's how business. Welcome to capitalism. Yeah, we're we're in a for profit business. Right. Right. So, and most people will like, if you break it down to most people, like say, Hey, like we're going to spend $30,000. I want to make 7%. Mm-hmm. If you can make 7% net to sales, like you're the most badass uh, dealership in the entire world. Our margins that low. It's that low. Wow. I didn't realize that they were that low. And so if you, if you even explain it to a customer, like, Hey, like I need to make $2,100 on a $30,000 vehicle. Right. Most, most customers would be like, you know, that sounds reasonable. So when you say 7%, that's 7% of the sale, like that's 7% of like the sale to profit. Profit after all expenses. But you make money off the uh, the loan, right? The interest. Yeah, depending on the loan. Okay. So I mean, at least you make some sort of money off the back and then obviously you can sell them a warranty or what have you, right? Unless it's like, a, if it's on a pre-owned vehicle, I assume. Yeah, you can sell an extended service contract on a new vehicle, a used vehicle. You know, we sell gap insurance. Well, we only sell a few products. So gap insurance, maintenance, uh, extended service contract. Which was really funny when your little, I forgot the little finance dude that was trying to sell me gap insurance. And I'm like, what? He said, well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it's best to go over it, to go over the numbers. I was like, dude, I have like $25,000 in equity in this truck. <laughs> like, I'll never be upside down like come on now if i had five grand in equity i wouldn't buy gap insurance so you can't actually buy gap insurance if you're below 70 percent loan to value hmm that's interesting but then also he also tried to sell me an extended warranty that's a extended like, service have, contract but i was like do you have that little that little like faith in your vehicle that i'm physically like the truck had like 260 something miles when i bought it so the great thing is right your truck sitting outside has around 20,000 parts. Okay. Right? If 1% fail because they're built by machines, right? And also by the lowest bidder. And by the lowest bidder, right? So that, let's say that's 200 parts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's just 1% fail. Okay. On the average repair, during normal scenarios where parts are available and everything is three to four days. So let's just say it's average. Say it's three days. So 200 fail. So your car's in the shop for 600 days. Almost two years out of a you know six or seven year loan. I wouldn't even be mad. I'd calmly murder every Chevrolet employee ever if my truck was in the dealership for that long. I could fix it faster. I could Is fabricate it? the parts and fix it faster. I think you have a vehicle that's in my my shop right now. That's yes, and it's been there. <laughs> it was there for recall. It was there for paint, bodywork twice now. And then now you got me in some freaking Clifford, the big red piece of shit. You know, I forgot about that until I went to the shop today. I was like, oh shit, I forgot. forgot So it really wouldn't be that bad. I mean, I just need a truck that'll get me from point A to point B. If you ever put me in a vehicle that doesn't have like touchless, like the keyless entry shit, Paul, we're going to have some problems, dude. Nothing pisses me off more than when I have an arm full of shit and then I have to put it down to take the keys out 
to unlock it and then start it. Like, God, I'm so spoiled. And actually, that's the, my Silverado that my wife has been driving. That was the first vehicle in my life that I've ever had, like, keyless. Isn't that amazing? It's the best thing in the world. Well, see, well, you can't loan you something better than what you drive now because then you wouldn't want to give it back. We have to loan you something Ex- lower. Exactly. So that way if, the, no, you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. No, you you're looking at it the wrong way. If you loan me something that's better than what I have, when it comes time for me to get it back, I'm going to be like, Paul, let's uh, let's talk numbers. So you did that with the Tahoe once, but that's neither here nor there. Like You're going to buy a car for me no matter what because of our friendship. Right. Right. So I don't have to loan you something like that. I mean, I can loan you something that makes you feel appreciative. Which you never loaned me a Tahoe. You just had a really nice Z71. Well, yeah, I just, I can't get Tahoes right now. You can drive yeah. mine. No, you, I mean, you did, I mean, obviously you're my friend. So you did say like, hey, you might want to like. Yeah, just wait for a little while. Calm down for yeah. before you get Janae a Tahoe. But like my Tahoe I just got, right. They just repainted the whole front bumper under warranty. It was peeling. Which I asked Nick, because I had a bunch of. Jenny's car is a bunch of rail dust. And I was like, hey, just like get him to like buff that shit out, you know? And I asked him to change the oil. I said, change the oil, fix it, obviously, and then do the rail dust thing. Well, they kind of fixed it. You know, I really hope Nick listens to this. Zero buffing happened. Well, that's because you asked Nick. And zero oil was changed. (laughs) So I told the little dude, the estimatics dude or whatever, I told him, I was like, look, at this point, I'll just buff it myself. I don't care. I'll just buff it myself. But I really don't want to change the oil myself. And by the way, I forgot. I went change. I went fill up my truck. The that red Clifford piece of shit. Yeah, Clifford. Yeah. So uh, when I got it, it was at half a tank. So I'm not returning it until it gets down to half a tank because I wasn't paying attention the other day at the gas pump and I maxed that cocksucker out. So uh, yeah, there's that. And so if I turn it in, they're like, Keenan, oh, thanks. Like no, 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 no. And it's funny because they said that if I turned it in with less than half a tank, they were going to charge me $8 a gallon for gasoline. Which if they come up to me with an invoice that says $8 in gasoline, I'm physically going to beat them to death with that Clifford piece of shit. I'm going to rip a fender off and beat them to death. Is that a promise? Because I can make it happen. Oh, it absolutely will. <laughs> if some, they give me some disrespectful number like $8 a gallon. Which, just to be a dick, I thought about bringing the truck to them maxed out like i'm talking could not put an ounce of gasoline into it just to be like i tell you what how much do i owe you for the oil change and they'd be like oh hundred some bucks okay cool i'm gonna credit you right because i took it in half a tank it's now 14 gallons more so 14 times eight so if you wouldn't mind thank you for changing the oil uh i would like a check please for 27 dollars because I want a credit for the $8 of gasoline because that's a premium that I'm going to charge you for the gas. Yeah, so it's more of a convenience. But, like, I didn't know we were extreme couponing. Right? We should definitely try that sometime. Yeah, probably. Probably. But, yeah, dude, when I saw that, I was like, damn, they're really proud of that gasoline. Yeah. When there's physically a gas station like a quarter of a mile away from your dealership. Yeah, that's true. But have you gone to that gas station? I would be willing to risk it. You, you should definitely go. For $8. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. One of my employees got robbed there the other day. I'd be willing to risk getting robbed. Yeah, I'm you robbed getting robbed at your dealership. Eight dollars a gallon. No, no, no. See, we don't sell gasoline, which means we get charged a premium for it. And everybody wants to uh, milk as most free things out of a dealership as they possibly can. It's just like with electric the electric vehicles coming in. One of the biggest debates in the industry is like, 
how do you charge the customer that you have to charge their car? It's like putting gas in it. But also, I'm curious, how are you going to retrofit your lot? Oh, we're just going to burn it down. That place is like from 1970. Yeah, right? you, you run all that electricity through it. You're gonna just that and the asbestos will just light the whole thing up. The uh, but that's one of the biggest challenges right now in the industry is is the the EV readiness. Like right. how how do you do it? There's some dealerships will spend millions of dollars. So how close is the industry to being? They think they're a whole lot closer than they really are. There's no way. Yeah, there's no way. Right? They say so. Some some deal some uh, like Cadillac says they'll be all. Uh, Electric by 2025, right? Lexus is like, oh, it'll be like 2030, right? Different different brands are doing different things for that. Chevy's like, oh, we're serious. Yeah, Chevy's like, uh, some of the cars are going to be electric. Some of the trucks we have right now don't even have batteries yet. Some of the trucks we have right now definitely are missing things. I'm, I'm driving an $80,000 truck outside that the heated steering wheel doesn't work because it doesn't have the, the retrofit yet. I'll trade you. You'll trade me? Yeah, that for is a nice Clifford truck outside for Clifford. Yeah. You didn't give me a hard time about that. How do you drive this truck? And then, and then I'm this stuck with shit. this freaking, freaking monstrosity of a truck. I think really is a piece of shit, dude. It's a good truck. It's Clifford now. I'm going to sell that thing by calling it Clifford. You have to. Yes, as soon as you get done with it, like I'm calling that motherfucker Clifford. God damn it. All right. So anyway, I guess let's get to the serious aspect of the podcast and asking you actual questions <coughs> that actually relate to your job in the industry. So obviously we spoke about, uh, you know, like selling extended warranties and things like that, right? The art of upselling is extremely important, especially when you're dealing in razor thin margins, like apparently you have, right? So obviously my margins aren't that bad. But I don't um, pay yours all the time. That is true. Yes. So, uh, like that was one thing I talked about Earl uh, with Earl Stigler yesterday is about his restaurant. Is it's the same concept in you know restaurants too. Is they have razor thin margins when it comes to food, right? As well. So where they make money in is like you actually make a little bit more money in desserts and drinks, you know, things like that where you don't have razor thin margins. So the art of upselling is really important. So walk me through that. How do, how do you feel about, uh, how do you coach your staff into upselling a customer? So the, the biggest thing is you don't have the right to upsell the customer unless you do the process correctly. So the easiest way to describe it is feature advantage benefit. Okay. Right. So the feature is like, like, so, so you don't expect to be shown a car with 20,000 parts that we spoke about earlier, mm -hmm. not knowing how to work anything and then saying, oh, your payment's $1,200 a month. There's no value built. But if I, if I can show you, say, just for the most terrible ex example ever, right? Side impact uh, airbags, right? That's the feature, right? Benefit is it keeps your family safe in the, the event of a side impact. Okay. Fair right. Enough. So you, you have to show them what it does and how it does and how it benefits that. So would this be considered more for like a special order sort of thing? Or, I mean, how would you upsell someone from a vehicle that's already on the lot ready to go? It, it's, you just have to show them the features. So if you get someone excited about something, they're going to buy it. So when you talked about an extended service contract with your vehicle, right? So you pay car insurance every single month, right? Mm -hmm. How much do you pay in car insurance? I don't know, me and Janae's combined, it's like 300 something bucks. Let's just call it 300 so it's $3,600 a year. 
Damn. right? For an intangible service, right? If you're in an accident, God forbid, like it pays for the car, right? So, which a, I think all all insurance and is a scam, but right, it, it is right. It just makes money, right? But a factory warranty is three or thirty six bumper to bumper. That's pretty much industry standard, right? For most of the expensive things, it covers everything that's designed not to wear out. Yeah. Right. For American made vehicles, right? You can go spend BMW has a four year, 50,000 mile warranty. Cadillac has a four year, 50,000 mile warranty. But just for intensive purposes, 36,000 miles. Covers everything that's not designed to wear out. So, like tires, brakes, hoses, belts, those aren't covered. Right. So, say I sell you an extended warranty or an extended service contract for $3,600, but it covers you for an additional like four years on top of that. So, you have a 72 month coverage for 75,000 miles versus three or 36. And you don't see the value in protecting your investment, but you throw money away on car insurance every single month. Yeah, but car insurance is mandatory. It is. It's by law. I so have you have to have it. You have to have it, right? But most people can't afford to replace their motor or replace their radio or their power windows. Say, yeah, here's one number that I really like to play with. And like, for example, when I bought my F-150 uh, that you so graciously ascertained for me. Mm -hmm. So when I bought it, it yeah, that was, was hard to sell. Huh? That was hard to sell. Which is surprising. It was a really nice truck. Well, I, really I gave, you, I gave you too much money for it. You did. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's hey, the market, but then man, like, that was yeah. a definite win. That was that was on you. Yeah, no, I definitely walked away with that W. But no, so when I bought it, um, I bought it in November, November of nineteen. It was a twenty eighteen. It was actually a lease before I bought it. Uh, Enterprise owned it, and so the dealership got it from them, and then they put the the leveling kit and the tires and the rims and all that other shit on it, which I didn't really. I just I just wanted tires. I don't. I'm, I'm I'm past the point, you know, like I'm I'm over the age of caring about like rims. I need like functionality in a vehicle. So I bought it, and it was like thirty. I think I got it with like maybe thirty thousand miles, right? It was still technically covered under you know bumper to bumper and all that fun shit. So I'm sitting there in the little finance manager's office. They're telling me about you know the truck and whatever. We had already come to terms on price and everything. So he tries to sell me on this extended warranty thing, which at first it sounds like a great deal, right? Um, but he was talking to me about it and he's like, yeah, you know, you can get, you know, $75,000 of coverage for, you know, that it breaks down to this and Keenan, well, if you have to replace the motor and you know, this is how much or whatever. So I asked the begging question of, okay, so what's, what's the, what's the all in price? Like, what am I paying for the warranty over the course of the loan? And, uh, he told me, you know, it was, you know, it was like, I don't know, like $7,000. That's expensive. I said, well, I can, I can replace the motor for $7,000. I can buy a motor for seven grand if the motor goes out. Yeah, but Mr. Almond, not a, you can't replace it with a new motor. I said, oh, that's crazy. I said, what's in the truck right now? Is it a new motor or is it, got a, is it a motor with 30,000 miles in it? Okay, then. What's the problem? I can replace the motor. I was like, $7,000 is a lot of money. So I said, no, no, thank you. I'm going to turn it down. Okay, I understand, Mr. Almond. Well, just because we like you. We're we're prepared to offer you the, I don't know, it was like courtesy, I don't know, it was, it was actually a Chevy dealership, courtesy Chevrolet, uh, the employee discount, which is $4,000. I said, really, just for me saying no, you're going to knock off like seven, like, like, what was it, like 40% of the price? Like, just because I said no the first time? Like, what if I say no now? You're going to give me a shit for free? And so, at first, I thought about it. Like I started to like actually consider it, but then I asked him, I was, cause he said, I forgot what he said, but it was how he said it. And that's how he fucked himself. But he said something and I was like, wait, wait, 
I get coverage up to 75,000 miles, or are you going to give me 75,000 miles of coverage from today? He goes, oh, well, it's, it's covers you up to 75,000 miles. So it's like, oh, so I'm not getting 75,000 miles of, of warranty. I'm getting 45,000 miles of warranty. Well, Mr. Alamo, if you choose to look at it that way, I'm like, I'm not choosing to look at it anyway. Am I right? So there's different types of extended service contracts, right? Uh -huh. So a lot of dealerships give other ones a bad name, but transfer you $7,000 for a warranty, whereas I was just talking about a $3,600 one. Right. So a lot of reputable dealerships, like we have a cap. It automatically calculates you can't mark it up past a certain amount for certain vehicles. So that creates an issue, like say if someone wants to buy a brand new C8 and wants to cover their, that, that, that warranty is very expensive, you have to call it in and fix it. Um, but we're capped at how much money we can make on each one, just so you can't price couch somebody like that. Right. But they they do sell extended service contracts for new and pre-owned that start different ways where they, they go to the, the 75,000 miles. Which I guess it was just because I was like, yeah, a younger. Well, I mean, I wasn't really terribly young. I was like 26 when I bought that truck. But I guess it was because I can't be just assume like whatever, like this dude's probably a sucker. I was like, it would be seven grand for an extended, for $45,000 of additional coverage. It's like, damn, like... And then when I turned it down, well, Mr. Alma, if you change your mind, you're going to have to come in and get it, you know, like re-inspect it. We're going to have to certify it as, you know, I don't know, whatever, certified pre-owned or whatever. My like, dude, I physically don't care. Can I leave now? Like, let's give my paperwork right inside it. Yeah. It was so exhausting. Like, that shit took forever. Like, when I went to your dealership, it was such a seamless process. Yep. Well, a lot of people, we operate a little bit differently, more transparent. We try to give a more customer service experience. Yeah. Because... Nowadays and age, it's reputation. Yeah. Right? And some people don't have a good reputation. Some people try to gouge people, and that, that hurts you down the road. Whereas most people wouldn't even realize this, but a customer, if they sales, if they buy from you, they service with you, and continue to come back, is worth a million dollars over the course of their life. Right. So if you can keep one customer for their entire life, it's worth a million dollars. And I mean, that's something, too, that, that's really difficult to, to garner, because that was something I talked about with Earl yesterday, is... Uh, in the restaurant business, getting a customer to come into your business once is difficult. Getting them to come back a second time, even if they had a flawless experience the first time, is actually extremely, still extremely difficult. And once you get them in the third time, you have them for life. And But it's to get them in the second time that's the biggest hurdle. Because everyone wants to try you know, a restaurant at least once. More or less to have an excuse to not go back. And customer service is extremely important in getting someone to come back and come back and come back and come back. And once they start, go from shopping with you to, like you said, you know, you, you being, being able to provide them services, which is where you can actually make money because that's an intangible asset there. I mean, there's no, there's no cost that is tied to a service other than labor. Right, which is really important. Yeah, so once you start to really dive into that, and then you have customers coming back for services, and obviously I came back to you for you know when my father-in-law backed up into Janae's car, and now you know something that you know that's something completely different, and someone else is paying for it aside from me. I'm obviously going to come to you. So that's something that not many businesses look at. They just focus on I need customers in the door, I need customers in the door, I need customers in the door. You know, and I've dealt with several companies in the past that do various things. You know. And all they care about is extrapolating as much money as they can from that customer the minute that they have that opportunity. The one single time. Right. 
right? Which is the wrong way to operate a business. Yeah, exactly. Just like you operate your business on relationships. Right. The, uh, like, like I personally believe that if I spend money, if someone spends money with me, I spend money with them. Right. And we met differently for the HO, the HOA page. Right. But I spent money with you. You spent money with me and we have a very good business relationship. Right. Right. On top of becoming very good friends. You know, I pride myself that I'm, you know, the number one customer every single year. Or two. That is true. You, but, um, I've kind of cut you off. So I do have a couple of people that are waiting in the, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. I think, uh, I think in September, I don't think anybody could spend enough money to get there. You'd be very surprised. Yeah. You'd be very surprised. Cause like now we're leading up to, uh, we've been pretty busy the last like week. But the two weeks before that, we were super slow. But like, we're about to really hit it hard for, you know, obviously deer season and then Christmas. Yeah. Well, I need to build five more. Remember, I bought five lowers. That is true. Yeah. God, you did buy some. Which Danae would probably not agree with. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But we did get some of the, uh, you got a, what what kind of lower was it? Did you get the scalper? I'll, I'll send you a picture. I, I, was, I do have No, the, you got I, the Soul Snatcher. Yeah. The Sons of Liberty Soul Snatcher. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. I literally, well, have, I literally have a pile sitting on my toolbox of uh, I need to build random a shit. Yes. Yeah. I really need to come here, so we need to we need to organize and because we need to order all the various parts and accessories and stuff for your suppressor. Yeah. Did you shoot it yet? No. God. What a waste. That's a good can. Yeah. That's a good. Can. I'll eventually shoot it. At least I have it if I want to. You probably you know that I'm probably going to shoot with it first. Yeah. Well, you've shot most of my firearms before I've shot them. That is true. Yeah. Like, oh, look, I bought a new one. Oh, I need to. I need to get excited. And oh, here you go. Which I really need to get off my ass and try to find and finish uh, the process of buying that property in Oklahoma, so I can actually have a place to take you and the boys and we can go hunting. That'd be fun. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you can take the whole family out. That'd be good. Be a good gig, or you can go with me to that ranch that I keep telling you about. Actually, I'm I going, need to do that. Yeah, I'm going on Friday. Well, I'm going I can't on Friday. Go on Friday, but no, it's on. My, booked, my schedule is terrible. I booked the I booked the hunt already, so yeah, yeah you can't you no. can't go now. Yeah, one day though. Yeah, I think y'all would have a good time. Y'all would have a good time, and you can actually use some of the uh, some of the shit that you bought for me instead of it just being a bunch of different safe queens. Yeah, it's like trophies. Oh gosh. Or is how how I look at it is investments. That's how I justified it with my wife. Was she's like, "Do you need another uh, another gun?" I'm like, "Well, if you buy the right one, you never lose money. It's protection against inflation." That's a very unique way to look at that. It's a very unique way to look at that. But anyway, so let's <laughs> let's progress. Um, let's progress. So before we go to the next question that I really have, I did want to we briefly touch base on it. Um, so. We did talk about it earlier. I mean, obviously, you're not incredibly old, right? So what would you factor into someone your age moving up into the position that you currently are now? And then likewise, as a general manager, like what? Because, I mean, you're, I mean, what's what's after that? Oh, past my, past my current position? Yeah. <clears throat> Ownership. Okay. Like a percentage-wise? Like percentage or own dealership? The whole or? thing. Like, I'm very happy with the people I work for right now. Okay. Um, they've given me a lot of opportunities and I'm happy, but yes, the, the next, the next spot, if I choose to go that route is ownership, but then you also have a lot of, you know, cons to that. Mm -hmm. 
Right, right now I can spend millions of dollars of their money at no cost to myself, you know, building their business. And, right. you know, my piece of the pie is very small, but I also have no risk. It's their risk. Whereas if you're the owner, it's your risk. All the risk, yeah. Right. So it's some people will live their entire life without wanting to take any risk. And this is as far as they'll get because they're perfectly happy. Which I'm all about gambling. Yeah. As you can tell. I mean. Was that scared money don't make money? That's it. Exactly. That's it. So it's actually, I talked to Jared about that today and he had, he had said something about that. And he was like, man, I applaud you for, you know, taking all the risks that you have. Which I'm like, I mean, I don't find that the risks that I took were substantial. But a lot of people worry about like, so. <clears throat> you don't worry like, more about the unknown. Yeah. So you don't think this way. I don't think this way. But why does somebody make 15? This, you know, honestly, like why does somebody make $10 an hour for 20 years? Yeah, that's obscene to me. Right. So people are afraid of change. People are afraid of risk. People are afraid of losing, even no matter how small it is, whatever they have. So no matter what position you get into, it takes a certain person to risk it, you know, for, uh, you know, achieving something greater. Right. But going back to what you said at, at my young age, right? So I've worked since full-time since I was 12. I grew up with nothing. So I moved out at 15. The moment I was 18, I started selling cars. I had already put myself through two years of college and I had got my GED before that. So it's... My unique upbringing was, hey, like you bust your ass for everything. So right. the hours weren't a problem, right? And my drive to do better and to continue to grow got me to where I am today. Okay. So, I mean, I guess just you, your, your, your major talking point is obviously the hours that you've worked. And I mean, although you're young, I mean, working eight hours a week versus 40, I mean, you know, it, 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 it'll catch up with you basically. Yeah, it will. And you know, I'm not, I don't regret any of the choices I've made, right? Like my kids will never have the problems I had, right? I have nice things that I never dreamed of having, right? you know, and you know, you'll only live once, might as well make the most out of it. To some people it's travel and time and everything else where I want to be able to do whatever the fuck I want. Right. And I pretty much operate that way. Like my dream is to retire at 40. That's good. Like if I can retire at 40, sell, you know, lateral limits, whatever other business, I'm looking at a couple different options now, uh, whether it be expanding the shop, opening a second location. I'm also looking at a completely separate business venture, but if I can just sell everything and walk away at 40 and have enough money set aside, which, but also I'm not the type of person either. Like I can't, like I, I keep telling people like my, the dream is to retire at 40. I just don't know if I could stop working at 40. People, when they retire, they die because they don't do anything. And like, I would love to be able to retire and do everything that I want to do. But like, I'll be honest, Paul, like I, I would, I'd want to hunt. Yeah. And, and that'd be and that requires an obscene amount of money to be able to do and hunt <laughs> everything that it is that I want to hunt. Like, Hey, like you want to have a big trophy room? Like, I'll, like you hunted something on every single continent. That's a great goal in life. Right. Right. Like I, honestly, like. Like my number is 45, right? When I get there, like, I don't care if I'm making hats out of palm leaves on a beach, but the choices I make now will get me there. Right. And whether I get there and I'm comfortable or I get I think, there and I'm not. I think the main, the main goal is not to sell everything, but you have to have enough passive income 
that I can walk away. And you have to have something <laughs> that still makes you a decent amount of money. Right. Like, I don't think I could just stop working and stop earning income at 40. Uh, but I do think I could stop working at 40. Right. You know, and, and, and focus on other things that can make me money versus me grinding 60, 70, 80 hours a week at the shop, coming home, you know, seracoding. I mean, I was literally seracoding right before you got here. Uh, I think I can focus on other things and, and, and have other, you know, niches and, and things that I want to focus on in life to be able to make enough money that way I can just like sort of coast. Yeah. You nail it with passive income, which is right. Like I, I have two other businesses that I started that I'm working on the exact same thing. Right. But, uh, Sarah coding, was it a gold AK 47 by chance? Oh God. No, God, a piece of shit. Dude. I can't believe you made me do that. I'm still upset with you about that. Dude. <laughs> hey, look, it was so bad. I gave it away. And then somehow you ended up with it again. Okay. First off, He's not saying that the, the coding was bad. No, the coding was great. It was just that choice. And I tried to talk you out of it. It's okay. Because I was like, look, you, you want a gold-plated AK. Cerakote is not shiny. It's a matte finish. It's going to look more yellow. Anyway, so I have it at the shop now. It was an experiment. fucking be there for... I told you, paint a different color, I'll buy it. I'll probably just have to do that just to get that shit out of the shop. But anyway, let's move on from that to... Because that irritates me as I have to take a swig. <laughs> so obviously, you're in a very sales-driven sales driven environment, sales-driven sort of market. What's more important to you? And we briefly touched on this is obviously like bringing customers back. But what's more important, driving sales or customer satisfaction? And why, why are the two, why do they always seem to be mutually exclusive? It depends on the business model. <clears throat> so the right mix of those two is how you succeed. But too many people go, just like you said earlier, I want to make the most money on them each individual time, right? And then too many people go the other route, like it's all about the customer. Well, I hate to say it, the customer's not always right. No, and I mean, it's very true. You have to find a happy medium. It, it's got to be both. You got to find your balance between both of them because... No matter what you do, a customer is always going to want something for free. They're always going to want to take advantage of the business owner, no matter what it is. Right, because they always think that, you know, because, oh, because Keenan owns his own business, he's made of money. I literally had a customer tell Trevor, um, they thought the house was paid off. I'm like, dude, what the, what? the shop hadn't even been in business for two years. You think I made enough profit to pay off this house? They thought I owned my truck, every everything. I'm like, Jesus Christ, people. Like, do you think that profit margin in guns is 70%? That'd be great if it was. Oh, my God. Everyone would yeah. be in the game. Exactly. But <clears throat> as far as, like, customer satisfaction versus, like, driving sales, in my industry, um, it sucks dealing with e-commerce. I know e-commerce is great, and it's not going anywhere. But having to deal with e-commerce clientele and dealing with e-commerce sort of businesses that pretty much only cater to that is it sort of like a race to the bottom uh mentality when it comes to pricing well it's like the the sign on your wall about you're not a multi-billion dollar company right right but you get a different service buying from you like i won't go buy a gun at academy I'll, i don't care if it's a hundred dollars more i'll still buy it from you because right. of the service i get right so and that holds true for a lot of people right somebody will spend more money with you 
and pay a higher premium based on the services you provide. Right. Right. If you're nice about it, if you show them how to work everything with e-commerce and cars, like people are expecting us to just drop cars off at their house and then you get a factory. What is that? Carvana or something? Well, Carvana delivers them that way too, but like, well, hell we offer it during COVID, but you're going to spend 40, $50,000 on a vehicle. It's going to get dropped off at your house. You're going to sign paperwork. You have no perceived value in the vehicle. You don't know how to work anything. Yeah. Right. And then you're gonna get a factory survey that pretty much takes away all the dealership's money. If it's anything but perfect, which we learned the hard way with my father. But, um, aside from that, but I mean, it's the same thing with a gun, you know, like obviously if you buy a gun online, you have it shipped to me for the transfer, you're still going to get about the same customer service as if you had bought it from me, which a lot of people disagree with me on that. It's like, oh, well, if they buy it from somewhere else, Keenan, I mean, you know. But you have the opportunity with that on, figure a, it out. on a transfer to win the customer over. It's a free customer. Right. Exactly. And I think that's the correct way to look at it, right? Because if they're, they're coming – a lot of people who send us stuff on transfers have never even heard of us. They just selected us because we were the nearest one and we have a damn near five-star rating on every reviews, right? Excuse me. But uh, – and then a lot of people come in. They do the transfer thing and most of them, the conversation starts as, huh. I didn't even know you guys were here, which our response is naturally, hey, the great thing is though, now you do, you know, now you do. Now guys, you know, like if, if you need anything in the future, uh, we'll be happy to do another transfer for you. I do just ask though that you at least give me a shot to earn your business. You know, it, it may not be the cheapest price. You know, I may be beat by, you know, you know, eight, 10% sometimes. Um, but at least give me, give me a shot at it. You know, don't just buy it online. And then I've had some people come into the shop. Well, never come into the shop, which I mean, you can check what we have in stock at all. Literally right now, you can see every firearm that I have in inventory, every suppressor, right? A lot of different stuff. People won't even call the shop. They'll just order it online. They'll show up. I have the same gun sometimes at about the same price or even better. And they'd be like, huh? I wish I would have called and I'm like, no shit. But now you're in the customer. So on the car side of it, right? CarMax is almost a hundred percent of the time a higher price. Mm -hmm. It's the service they provide that the customers they get, right? Like, so we have a three day money back guarantee and a seven day exchange policy. Which I also learned with my father. Yes. Well, even if we didn't have that, I would let you do that. Yeah. The, uh, because it gives you a better, better quality clientele. Right. Because no matter what happens, if the customer's pissed off, most of the time we're going to let them out of it anyway. Right. Right. It's not worth the headache. Okay. But so like you, you said you have almost a five star uh, review rate. Almost. Almost. Did you know that on reviews, they, the average customer will trust reviews they read online more than they'll trust their own family? And see, I'm the opposite. So one of my toxic traits is I will never read a review before I want to buy a product. Or now that I think about it, like shop at a business, which I think it's weird to, to read a review before shopping at like a retail store. But hey, it is what it is. Now, if I'm buying something from online, I might just like skim reviews really quickly, but like buying a specific product, no way. So like on Amazon, like if you see like five or six of the same thing, I just look at review counts. Right. Okay. There's 5,000 of those. I meant I'll buy that one. 
Yes. Versus thirty five with the other one, but I won't read. Like I won't. I won't read the review. It's it's. Hey, oh yeah, no I way. I the one with more with more stars. No way. Which I'm really bad about that. About like my worst thing is like a new video game. Which I mean, I barely have time to play video games. Almost never. You know, literally the only time I play video games is when Janae and the kids go out of town. For, you know, because obviously they go back to Louisiana way more often than I do. Yeah. I'll be lucky if I can go three times a year. And really, like two is about the number. Like. I won't be able to go back for Thanksgiving because obviously what's at the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, which is a massive, you know, influx for retail businesses. So we have to start getting prepared for that. And then the week leading up to that, I need to get inventory in the shop to be able to, you know, to be prepared to sell for that specific holiday. So the kids and everything will be able to go uh, back home way more than I can. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would be able to you know, go back nearly as often as them. So when I know that they're leaving, because the Wi-Fi thing is upstairs, which is funny, because it takes like eight hours to download a video game. So I'll buy it and then they'll dip out and then I'll play it for like, I don't know, a few hours. But uh, I downloaded Elden Ring, which is a, a lot of people talk shit on me. That's, it's just not, that's just not me. I just think it's a shit game personally. I'm just not into the Souls games and stuff. It's just hard. Everything in the game wants to kill me. Well, yeah, but also like in a game like that, it takes so much time to progress that we don't have. Yeah, and dude. Right, give me a call, dude. <coughs> like, dude, I'm sitting there. I'm trying to like I have to take notes. Like I'm playing a freaking Windows 98 game. Like what kind of shit is this? You know, but anyway, I, I've physically had people come into the shop. My best friend is, uh, he listens to the podcast pretty regularly, and he he uh, was not happy that I talked shit on Elden Ring. But to be fair, Tyler, that's just not me, which I've said to him prior. You know, that's just that's just not my style of game, I suppose. Uh, I'm, I'm all about, like, open world sort of games. Like, Red Dead Redemption is really fun. That one was fun. Uh, Grand Theft Auto is great. Yeah, The Witcher. I really like. Oh, Witcher was good. Uh, yeah, Witcher Three was really a really good game. But I need instructions because the the thing is, is like I can like if you're gonna play like a game like Elden Ring or something like that. I mean, you have to like follow it religiously, constantly to understand what's going on. Whereas somebody like me who plays like four hours a month, if I'm lucky, you know, like most of the time when I do play, it's like Janae and the kids are all asleep. And I have terrible tinnitus, so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wake up and you know, I'm just going to play for a little bit. Uh, but I'll play for like two hours and then be like, okay, it's time for bed. But then by the time I get time to play again, I completely forgot where the controller is, let alone what the game's about. So, but yeah, so I don't know where we were going with the video game. I don't know. We get off on a tangent. Something shiny. We're distracted. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But anyway... Uh, let's digress about uh, video games and stuff, and let's kind of try to divulge back into sales. So we did, you know, talk uh, about, you know, like driving up sales versus customer service and how the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So what, what advice would you give to, uh, let's say, someone starting a career in like a commission-based sales job, like selling cars? So the, the best advice I'd give you is save your money. Okay. Right. And it might sound terrible with that, but in any commission-based job, you're going to have good months and bad months. Right. You got to teach someone and 
most people don't realize this, but in, when you have a commission-based sales force, you have to teach them money management. It's fair. Because like a, when, I, uh, when I worked in the oil field, right, I was making money that I've never even seen before. You know, I was like 20, 21. I had waited tables. I was in college. I decided to drop out of college when, you know, Janae, we found out Janet was pregnant again and everything. And so I just decided, you know what, I just, I just think my, this might be too tough for us to both be in school. So let me just go ahead and, you know, I'll take one for the team. Janae can stay in school, focus on the house and the kids and all that fun stuff. I'm just going to go work. Right. So I uh, came into, you know, a fair amount of money, made a really good living money that I've never seen before, you know? And so that was one thing that my supervisor told me, cause he's like, man, you know, can you need to realize that you're going to make a lot of money that you never even like messed with. So you need to just not live above your means. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah. Set, set a budget, follow it, you know, and as you get used to it and as the business becomes easier for you, right. We can teach you to spend your money in great ways, right? Like at my shop. At, at your shop. Guns are investments. Uh, but like most of my staff that's there for a long time, I help them set up 401ks. I, I give them financial advice, right? Sometimes they don't follow it. Sometimes they lose all their money, like in the crypto markets. But hey, hey you know what? Like at least you have the opportunity. Yep. And you learned. And you learned, right? But that's funny you said that about Janae and the baby because that's what, how I ended up staying in my position and working so much was the same same kind of thing as we were pregnant with our, with our second child and like hey you know what you can stay home and i'll just dive completely into this <coughs> sorry so very similar uh, scenario there but yes on commission-based sales like first thing money management second thing save your money and don't screw people over yeah don't screw people over because it comes back to you right because you have those people that just they're so freaking sales driven dude it's all they focus on is, you know, making, making extra money, making this, making that. And the whole relationship aspect of it just falls, you know, falls by the wayside. Cause I mean, you have to have some sort of like customer base and clientele. Yeah. Customer base clientele is, is your livelihood. Right. Right. What happened in COVID? Hey, all of a sudden, like it didn't matter. You weren't going to the showroom, but all those people that bought cars from you for 20 years, they still bought cars from you. They said, Hey, they reached out like, Hey, I still need to buy a truck. How do I do it? Yeah. So is the market sort of opening up now? Right now we're going through a little bit of an open market because all the manufacturers are unloading the uh, remaining model year stuff to us. So you're going to see a big influx um, over the next few months before they change the body styles and all that other stuff. Before they go back to not producing shit again. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that sucks. Yeah, like so. For instance, like the Tahoes, we have I have seven Tahoes, three of which have been sold since they were produced in May, sitting in Midlothian in the rail yard or waiting to get shipped to us. Right, I have twenty twenty threes on the lot. These are brand new twenty twos. Probably where all that rail dust came from. All the rail dust, yes. Right, so there's a lot of different challenges we still have. But like honestly, this the scenario where you have where the cars go up and down, the market's changing is probably you know it's still a good two years till it, it evens out and goes back to normal. Damn, that long. So as far as like, uh, I guess assume you know like wait till the interest rates come back down. That's when the market will really start to chill out or supply and demand. It, it, what's it, more, what's more important? Think. 
Um, well, interest rate for most people. There's still going to be a lot of people that it doesn't matter. Yeah, cash buyers and well, or they just don't give a shit. Or they don't give a shit, right? So, like, you buy a new vehicle in the state of Texas, your, your rate is limited to 18%. That's the highest rate you can go on a new vehicle. But if you go back what to about like, used, you, this is the thing. It's, it's limited to the two model years. So from 2020 to 2022, you're limited to 18%, which means like, so you have somebody with bad credit, right? You're going to try to sell them a 2016 with 70,000 miles, 80,000 miles, because the bank can charge a higher rate and charge the dealership less because most people don't realize that if you have bad credit, the dealership pays for the ability to finance you. And what, really? the, and the, what the banks call a bank fee. And not allowed to pass it on to the customer because you can't add to the price. Otherwise the fee would go up. Mm-hmm. But say like we sell a $20,000 car and we finance it with, you know, a subprime lender, they might say, Hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to go ahead and charge you $600 for the privilege of processing this paperwork. But it also goes to the point of I've seen bank fees in the five and $6,000 range. Holy shit. For just a person with shitty credit? Mm-hmm. So if I come in with like a credit score of like 205. So 205 doesn't exist. But oh, well, so I, get people approved, I, I get people approved with a 400 beacon all the time. But the scenario has to be right. So what's the lowest? So under, I've seen a 300 beacon. But under that, the score pretty much goes away. Um, but like I've got, you know, getting somebody approved with a 400 beacon is actually pretty common. But the all, like you can legally say you're pre-approved to anybody because under some scenario, certain money down, certain this, certain yeah. that, you could buy a car. Um, but when you work with very, very bad credit, like you have to have like 30% down. You have to have pay stubs that are real. Right. Right. There's a lot of things that you have to go through. There's extra forms we, we fill out, like for verification of employment. There's different things. There's waiting periods and, and customer interviews and things you have to do. And it becomes not advantageous for the business owner to do business that way. Makes sense. Well, that's crazy, dude. That's crazy. First off, that people are just trying to buy vehicles with a 400 credit score. So look at it this way. Like someone will say, hey, I will pay $1,000 a month for that truck, but I will give you zero to wait out. What sense does that make? Zero. Exactly. If you can't put money down, why are you spending $1,000 a month? You're not going to be able to pay the payment. But there's also people that will make $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month. They'll say yes to a seven or $800 payment. Which the whole idea of paying a thousand dollars a month for a car note years ago baffled me and it still kind of does but it's like dude that's like becoming like really common though yeah cars get more expensive more technology they're supposed to last longer yeah that's bullshit that's definitely bullshit but so but like what's and but even then like i mean when i first started shopping for cars like in my let's say let's say early 20s like a five-year payment plan that was like the norm and now it's becoming like what like seven eight yes seven's more common because everything's getting more expensive right so you're having to go longer term for someone to be able to afford it yeah right so the banks can even go up to like what 10 so you go to 12 years on a car it depends on how much you finance what kind of car it is but we don't go owe anything past seven years um the car's just you don't hold the value Mm-hmm. Right, the longer you go, the less value you're going to hold, the more money you're going to lose. Yeah, unless I'm buying like a 3500 HD. Yeah, it's a depreciating asset. Yeah, hardcore too. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that people run into problems with when they want, well, they want to do a high payment with low income. Right, the banks will not let somebody go over 15% of their income. 
for a payment, debt to income, payment to income. There's, there's just like a house. percent seems pretty low. It is pretty low. But say you make three grand a month, 450 is the number. Yeah, which is, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to bring like a lot of money to the table. Yeah, because I mean, you basically have to buy like a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. A four fifty won't buy a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. So the basic rule of thumb is twenty bucks per thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 a big that's a big jump. Then we have good credit and longer terms and stuff. It actually means less, but it's a, it's a good good way to judge something. So ten grand, two hundred bucks a month. So you said the most that your dealership will do is a seven year. Yeah, eighty four months. But that's even if I yeah, I want to buy the truck that you're in. With the most minimal amount of money down, the most you'll do is seven. Seven years. But you can do more technically. Yeah. But I feel like 12 years on a vehicle, bro, like that's insane. So when I first started selling cars, it was very common to see nine and 10 year notes. That was greed that crashed the economy. Yeah. Right. So after that, a lot of things went into play to, to limit that. You really have to go out there and really try to get a longer term loan. Yeah. Well, it's like when I bought my F-150, uh, I think I did a four-year. But they asked me because they were like, oh, you know, they, they say it in months, which confuses me. And division has never been my strong suit. But they were like, oh, you want to do like, I don't know, was it 84 months and six years? 84 months and seven years. 72 months and six years. The, that one, yeah. right? He goes, oh, you want to do 72 months? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's four? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, how many months is the, the four-year the four option? He's like, you want to do 48 months, sir? I was like, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, four, four years, please. I mean, I don't understand why it's such a big deal, you know? Like, I can obviously afford it, so. So, that's a smart business sense, right? So, we teach somebody on, like, the, so when we present numbers, we, we present them up to 60 months. It's short term. Mm -hmm. First thing, what that does is that, that limits the asset versus liability, right? Because we're a depreciating asset. So, the shorter term you go, the quicker you have an asset versus a liability. You lower your carrying charges, which says, hey, you're gonna pay less interest. It's a fancy way of saying that. You also shorten your trade cycle. Most people, no matter what their term is, wanna trade between a year and a half and two and a half years, mm -hmm. right? So it would make sense to do a 48 month loan. Most people can't afford it. That is true, yeah. Right? Well, especially now, I guess, with the current price of vehicles. Yeah, it would be ungodly. But, so there's a lot of benefits to doing short-term financing, but a lot of people it's not feasible for. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess if you can afford it or unless the interest rate doesn't change to the point where it's feasible for you, it's like, why would you, you know, why would you go with that, that option as opposed to, you know, if I went with six years instead of four, like how much money am I saving over the long term? And <clears throat> I mean, you know, this as well as, I do. I mean, most people, it's just, there. I'm sure their biggest question is, what's the monthly payment? Right. What's the monthly payment? That's you, all I need to know. You can literally fold over a quote and cover up the, the amount to finance. They, they don't shit about that. Unless you're paying cash, it does not matter. Right? Six months from now, you're not going to matter what you pay for that car. You're going to matter what the payment is. Yeah. Because this is America. It's a budget. Right? Can you fit in the budget? Great. Right? Business owners such as yourself looks at it differently than the average American. Right. Average people, it's payment. Can I budget for it? Yeah. I'll do a thousand dollars a month with just zero money down. Makes no damn sense. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. And that's even more insane. I'm still thinking about that, how that dude tried to sell me gap insurance when I had physically like twenty something thousand dollars in equity in that truck. Well, technically you weren't below seventy percent, so like the like you actually can't sell it, it won't generate a contract. 
Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, if you're like seventy point one percent, you can still sell it. Yeah, no. But he asked me, he for sure, hey, look, hey, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. The dude tried to sell it. I'll give him that. That's Even true. though I laughed and said And because those products, if we don't present all of them to you, it's discrimination. We didn't give you the opportunity to buy it. If we didn't offer you gap insurance to buy it and you told it your car, you could sue us. You probably wouldn't win, but you could still sue us and we get dude, people sue business on all the time. Now, oh, my God. I would take the ambulance ride to your dealership and be like, all right. Where's that truck, that piece of shit that you parked in my driveway? Where's that one at? I want that one. I would upgrade instantly. But I would want my rims and tires. Yeah, you do have nice rims and tires. We if, talked about that on the other truck. Yeah. You want to keep your wheels and tires. If <laughs> if they're salvageable. The rims, I really don't care. The rims don't mean mean nothing to me, but I would definitely want uh, I would definitely want my tires back. So uh, last question that I had for you was, uh, what's, well, you said you started at the car industry, what, 18? Yeah, 18 years 18. old. So what's one piece of advice that you would give a young 18-year-old Paul? Outside of the car industry advice, I'd say don't, uh, I said, I'd say quit drinking. But Okay, uh, that's not fun. I, I, figured, anyway. I figured that out a long time ago. Also, though, but I, I like to ask this question just because I just feel like it's really important. Like, you know, like, what's your biggest regret? What's your biggest pro? But also, I'm a firm believer in, like, I I learn from overall, like, experience. Uh, even if I could go back in time, <clears throat> a lot of times I, I, I can't help but think, like, what would I tell myself? You know, which obviously we've you know been in business for you know we just made two years, but I think I would just want to go back. I wouldn't want to give myself too much information. I would just want to be, tell myself like, "Hey, it's going to be all right," and I think that's all I would leave it at. And that's a great way to, to look at it because, like, stress less. You you wouldn't change a single thing because what you did got you to where you are today. Right. I wouldn't change a single thing. All ups and downs, all the bad shit, all the heartbreak. It didn't matter. Like. Because it got to me where I am today. Yeah. Right? So that's a great piece of advice. Say, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't stress so much. Yeah. Right? But that's that's, that's nature. We're going to stress. That, that I, There probably would be a couple guns that I would probably tell my, you know, self to not buy. Like, don't, don't that, that's not going to sell. Yeah. Make sure you buy that Facebook stock, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but anyway... <laughs> That's always a question that I like to uh, end off with. Um, is there any like last remarks that you'd like to make? Any any last tidbits of advice that you'd like to give someone maybe thinking about getting into the car industry or anything like that? So in a commission-based job, it is it is what you make it just in life, right? It can be the best job in the world or it can be the worst job in the world. It's what you do with it every single day. Try telling that to a prostitute. You know, I'm sure they get their rocks off sometimes. 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 No, but that makes sense, man. That makes sense. You know, just like everything else. You know, you got to, you got to, you got to get the getting when the getting's good. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, Paul, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on by the house and, uh, and, and doing this episode with me, man. This has been pretty insightful as far as like the sales and stuff goes. Uh, I definitely appreciate it, and as always, uh, I appreciate the friendship. Oh yeah, for sure, man. It's more than just a, it's more than just that. It's, it's the relationship for sure, for sure. So um, 
Uh, I haven't scheduled the next episode yet. I'm going on my high fence hunt uh, this upcoming weekend. I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze in one more guest if I can. I have a couple of dudes lined up. I just don't know who we're going to do first, so I'm not going to – I'm going to wait to announce that one. Um, but <coughs> – excuse me. Uh, uh, so next week we should have a couple episodes uh, lined up for you guys. If you have any questions or anything like that, uh, if you uh, want to check out what's the website for your dealership? Youngchevrolet.com. So if you uh, go to youngchevrolet.com, you can check out all their, all their current inventory. There's a really nice 2018 red Chevy Silverado. that uh, Clifford. Can, yeah, the, the Clifford. If you change the description... I'll, yes, I'm going to put Clifford in the description yeah. just so you know. So uh, you guys can check out all their current inventory and things like that. You can swing by. Uh, what's the address? Uh, 9301 East R.L. Thornton. Just Google Young Chevrolet Dallas. It'll take you right to us. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, and guys, if you have any uh, questions or anything about the firearms industry, you're obviously more than welcome to swing by the shop. We're located at 5219 in Broadway Boulevard. Uh, we're located in Garland, Texas. You can check out our website. It has all of our current inventory currently listed. It's lateralimits.com. You can give us a shout, 972-836-0565. And guys, as always, we like to end every episode of the podcast with the uh, suicide prevention hotline. It is simply 988. It's a nice short number. Because if you're ever experiencing anything that you really feel that you, you know your life is just better off ended, I promise you that it is not. We all go through extremely troubling times in our life as uh, you know I'm sure Paul can tell you I can tell you my wife can tell you we all go through some really crazy shit I promise there is someone that has gone through the same thing who's more than willing to talk to you about it if you have something that you're just strongly considering taking your own life over you can simply call that 988 number there's a consummate professional on the end of the line who's more than willing to talk you off that ledge. Or guys, if you ever just want to swing by the shop, if I don't have coffee made, which we've kind of slowed down on making coffee lately because uh, it's so damn hot outside. But if you want a cup of coffee on me, I will happily make a pot, just shoot the shit with you, and, and we can talk you off that ledge. So guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is such a pleasure that we're now in double digits. This has been really fun, and I really want to thank my wife to really pushing me to to start this endeavor I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it so far and, and i've learned so much over the last you know 10 episodes now so we have so much more in store uh for us and guys uh, if you have any suggestions or anyone that you'd specific you would like to maybe i can i can try to link up with as far as you know having them start on the podcast by all means give us a shout i'd be more than happy that one one really daunting task for me is trying to trying to track down guests and everything like that when I'm working, you know, 60, 78 hours a week. So that can be a pretty tough, pretty tough task in itself. So the, the, the more help and the more love and insight would be super, super helpful. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is such a pleasure. I look forward to the next episode, uh, uh, after my hunt and such. So that should be really fun. But guys, again, thank you so much for listening. This is now episode 10 of the Chief Therapy Podcast. Uh, Paul, thank you so much again, buddy, for, for swinging on in. So, Anytime. So guys, as always, uh, stay groovy. <laughs>